You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by HuntStand. HuntStand is the number one hunting app in the country, and at only $29.99, HuntStand offers a ton of functionality for hunters all over the country. Whether you own your own property or strictly hunt public, you can choose from over a dozen base maps, view property ownership information, 3D mapping, local weather, log your sightings and harvest, as well as use their trail cam management software, and print maps from your hunt areas. Download it today at the Apple App Store or Google Play. Hunt Stand. Upgrade your arsenal. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Brought to you by Vortex Optics. How's everybody doing on this hump day? Hopefully everybody had a great weekend this past weekend. I'll tell you what I did. I flew down to North Carolina and I met with a couple guys from the National Deer Association. And this is just a little teaser. Um, We are putting together a, I don't know, it's like 18 episode podcast series that's going to be dedicated to brand new deer hunters so uh, just keep an eye out for that I know a lot of the stuff that we talk about on here is kind of high level but this is going to be an awesome tool for those who are um, interested in becoming a deer hunter maybe even brand new type uh, content so um, I want all of you so the most of the people who listen to this are I'm going to say above beginner level when it comes to deer hunting you've either uh, bow hunted for several years or you've gun hunted for a handful of years or you're, maybe you're just brand new to bow hunting but this is a tool that you can share with somebody who is interested you know like hey do me a favor check out this podcast uh, it's going to break it all down for you and then you can start putting some of that those actions uh, um, in you know put all those actions into the field but I'm trying to think of uh, what else. Oh, by the way, North Carolina has excellent barbecue. I think we ate barbecue like four times or in, in three, two and a half days that we were down there. Oh, man, so good. And uh, so I'm excited to share more of this project with you guys. Uh, hopefully, we can get everything rolling here by mid-June and start launching it by mid-June, late June, and uh, kind of go from there. But today... We have a very interesting episode. Uh, I had someone who bailed on me last minute, and I uh, put a little feeler out there. I'm like, all right, I'm recording a podcast at 4 o'clock. Who can join me? Uh, I threw that out there on Instagram, 
and today's guest, David McElwain, he he was the very first person to respond, and uh, that's who's the guest today. Uh, we t- he's from Mississippi, so we talk, of course, talk about how hot it is in the South. We talk about kind of uh, what he does for a living, what it's like hunting in Mississippi. Uh, we talk about uh, Western adventures. This is like just like a, a shoot from the hip BS session that uh, that we went for, and it, it was a, a really good episode. We we talk about we also talk about his truck, how he he put a. a topper on his truck and then he turned his the back of his truck into like this bed kitchenette type thing which is something that I'm really interested in doing because uh, I sleep out of my truck a lot whenever I go west and uh, I'll tell you right now that's something that's on top of my list right now so a couple really cool things there uh, excellent episode and hopefully you guys enjoy it but what are we gonna to we gotta do a commercial today all right, so let me get my paper out here. Uh, I'll tell you what, we got a, I'm not going to call them new, but th- we're, we're working together again, and that is Exodus Trail Cameras. Um, they've turned, their company's turned six this year, and uh, so they, they're running a, a special. And what's cool about uh, working with Exodus again is I know Chad and some of the other guys from, from the company, again, and I say this all the time, working with good people i like working with good people um, who run their company right on top of that excellent customer service and here's my favorite thing about using an exodus trail camera when you turn it on and walk away from it it works period like that's all i like me personally i like all the additional functionality uh, that comes with a trail camera and the options and stuff like that i mean these guys have it too but i like knowing that when my trail camera's on it will work period that's all i want and that's what i get when i have an exodus so uh, i'm pretty jacked about this uh year six is a discount code so if you head on over to exodusoutdoorgear.com and uh they're running a 20 percent off special use the this is for their exodus render the sp18 which is a solar panel and then the uh, the render sp18 bundle and they're running that until june 11th and that discount code is year six y-e-a-r the number six and it says while supplies last also be sure you keep an eye out for uh, hashtag velvet fest on all of their social media and basically what that is is there they do a whole bunch of really cool things through social i think they do some giveaways and stuff like that uh when when the velvet starts to grow and and starts to get noticeable so exodusoutdoorgear.com uh the next company we're talking about today is vortex optics title sponsor of the podcast Uh, again awesome people awesome company awesome customer service awesome products right I, I, i beat the shit out of my binoculars i don't know why but i think it's because they're on my chest whether i'm walking through thorns or climbing up tree stands or i mean my hands are always on them and when your hands are always on something they tend to uh, wear out or, or get worn out really quickly but those binoculars using their vip warranty i've had kind of like over eight years i think now and what i've done is every time they break i send them back 
and they fix them for free through their VIP warranty and they send them back to me. So it's almost like you're getting a brand new set of binoculars. They just fix it for free, send it back. So go to uh, vortexoptics.com, check out their spotting scopes, range finders, uh, binoculars, rifle scopes, red dots, you name it. They got an optic for just about everything and uh, awesome people who work for the company. So Vortex Optics, Wasp, Broadheads. Uh, when you talk to Fred Doherty there at uh, Wasp, uh, he tells you, the best material makes the best broadheads and that is what wasp uses they use very durable material uh it's uh it's the first thing that hits the animal that you're trying to kill so it has to be durable right it has to be able to um you know hit some bone and make its way through and not fail because if a product fails then you don't all the time and energy you put into uh, hunting also goes down the drain so you got to have a product and that's why i love wasp majority of their heads are made in america the material the design the engineering that goes into them is superb and uh dude uh, i've been using them for a long time i've killed a lot of deer with the jackhammer mechanical uh and uh, my goal is to kill an elk and a mule deer with the boss four blade this year those are my two favorite favorite heads by the way and uh we have a new discount code for wasp so nine fingers that's the number nine followed by the word fingers 2021 2021 nine fingers 2021 and that's going to save you 20 percent off of your purchase uh wasparchery.com and then hunt stand so hunt stand is a, a a new partner that i've been playing around with and i'll tell you i'll tell you right now this it's the number one app hunting app that there is in the country right and it's 29.99 fairly cheap uh i don't like talking about price when it comes to cheap because that's all relative but what's awesome is this app has a ton of functionality behind it right you can check out local weather of course they have a variety of different uh, base maps to choose from it's uh it tells you the the property ownership right just like all the other ones out there you know click on a property it's going to tell you the owner 3d mapping you can log sightings and uh, um, log sightings and harvests in there and they also have which is uh, very interesting to me and I plan on using it a lot this summer and this fall and that is their trail cam management software right so you can upload your trail camera pictures into it along with some uh, some other cool functionality you can download it at Apple Play Store or uh, or Google Play go check that out and you can you can actually download it for free uh, to get it but then if you want some other other bells and whistles that's when you pay the $29.99 but I'm going to be telling you guys a lot more about this as I start to use it and open up some of this functionality so uh, I'll be I'll be feeding you in throughout the summer months on that I think uh, that's the commercials right quick block of commercials and now we're going to get into today's I guess it's just uh, a quick BS session like uh, hey uh, I need someone to interview who wants to interview uh, so this guy, David, hits me up, and, and uh, that's what today's podcast is, man. It's, a re- it's actually a good podcast, so uh, here goes nothing. Three, two, one. All right, on the phone with me today, Mr. David McElwain. David, how we doing, man? I'm doing good, Dan. What about you? Oh, I tell you what, it's 70-something degrees 
in Iowa right now. And so the weather is absolutely gorgeous. Uh, the only problem is, you know, uh, earlier we start complaining about it being too cold. And then in about four days, it's going to be in the 90s here in Iowa. So then I'll be complaining that it's too hot, right? So uh, I'm going to enjoy yeah. these really climate days, these really good days uh, as I can. Got a lot of stuff uh, done outside the last couple days. But uh, I'm going to let the air conditioner do its job later this week. That's right. That's uh, right. It was, uh, it was surprisingly cool where I am in North Mississippi yeah. this weekend. Um, it was about 70s honestly right now it's back up in the 80s but this weekend was a little bit chillier so it was, it was a nice break yeah so there's there are two states that i've been to and i've been to those these two states in the middle of the summer and one of them was louisiana and one of them was mississippi and it was the hottest, most humid, grossest. Like you step outside, yeah. you're taking multiple T-shirts with you wherever you go because you you, you basically have your uh, your T-shirt to get you to wherever you're going. Then you switch before you get into that place because you're already sweating through that T-shirt. It, it makes you get your work done outside very early in the morning or very late in the afternoon. Yeah. There's no in-between, it feels like. If it is, then you're honestly regretting it pretty bad. Yeah. All right. So uh, we're just going to shoot from the hip today, kind of see where it goes. And the, and the first thing that I always like to uh, uh, start off with is you, you've mentioned that you are from northern Mississippi, but what do you do for a living? Mm-hmm. So I work for uh, Mossy Oak. Um, I'm actually from my hometown in West Point. Um, I'm a producer and photographer for them, and I've been there for about three years now. Um, I handle uh, gamekeeper social media. Um, like a lot of people in companies, kind of, you help out wherever you can. Yeah. And that's kind of my role at Mossy Oak. Okay. So, but like I said, I've been there for about three years now, and I'm, I'm more on the gamekeeper side than than, um, than any of the other uh Subbrands. Yeah. So, what does a, uh, I, I guess, what does a producer do? Right. I, um, I, I have a good idea, but what does a producer do when it comes to like working for, a, a, I guess, a hunting company or whatever Gamekeepers is? Yeah. So basically, we kind of travel around and video to different people's places. Um, gamekeepers, I would say, is more um, on the conservation side, like trying to leave the band, leave the land better than you found it. Um, a lot of habitat improvement and stuff like that, and you know, like I said, just try to make it better than you found it. Yeah. Um, but like I said, producer, we travel around, we video a lot, um, we interview certain different people that um, are doing good works in the outdoors, um, different studies. Um, we filmed in Texas capturing deer. We filmed banding ducks, uh, geese. Um, uh, banding turkeys, a lot of different cool stuff that we've done um, or that they've done that I've got to be a part of. And uh, it's like I said, it's been a pretty fun ride so far. Yeah, that's awesome. It's one of those jobs where I feel like there's a lot of people jockeying for a position of a quote unquote producer in the hunting space right now or, or the outdoor space right now. Yeah, I got I got kind of lucky. Um, so I graduated uh, with my boss's daughter, and uh, just so happened that you know I used to actually play tennis, and her his daughter played tennis, and I got to know him that way. And I went to a really small school, and uh, I picked up photography uh, about seven years ago, and 
kind of moved, I would say, halfway out to Colorado. I was um, still in college, and I was staying with my grandmother. She had a house out there, and I was taking all my online classes out there. So I would just, like, take pictures and, like, you know, fish most of the day and then do my online stuff, go in town, do my online stuff, and then I would be done. Um, and I was trying to do that and balance that while elk hunting, too, and that really wasn't working that much. <laughs> like, I paid way more attention to the hunting than I did to uh, the school. Right. So, But I wouldn't wouldn't change a thing now. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's awesome. Uh, so one thing that I've noticed, again, uh, of – if you want to work in the hunting industry, that means you're working in the hunting industry when you are, you know, you think, oh, dude, if I work in the hunting industry, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to be hunting all the time, which is not the case. Yeah. Yeah. So that, like, that was probably the the biggest question that everybody talks to me about, like, how many times do you get to hunt and everything? And it's like, not very much. <laughs> Not very much, but like I said, you get to be around hunting a lot, yeah. but you're not always the one, you know, behind the gun or, or pulling the trigger or, you know, yeah. setting the stands and like that. A lot of times it's like you're going with somebody to watch them hunt and yeah. video them, but. Still kind of cool no, it's, though, it's, right? It's a really, yeah, it's, it's very cool. Like it's very cool. It's, I, it's, I spend a lot of days in the office um, and during like, you know, this time of year, like we're doing a lot of editing show season starting up pretty soon. Um, but like during the fall time as, and Mossy Oak's super lenient about me getting to, you know, I get to take off a decent amount and then come in early if I can leave early and go hunting. So I get to hunt more than most people, I would say. Yeah. Um, so, and it's, it's pretty nice in that way. Yeah. Well, uh, I'll tell you, I, uh, uh, I, I feel blessed, you know, uh, everybody says they feel blessed, but I, I, I feel lucky getting to do what I do, being able to manage uh, what I manage as far as the schedule is concerned for the Sportsman's Nation. But like, man, I, I've never hunted as much uh, now other than maybe in my early 20s when uh, I was unemployed or, you know, not working a, a quote unquote real job and, uh, you know, before family and whatnot. But now I'm hunting man, like five to six weeks a year, which is, yeah. is awesome for me. Um, but at the same time, there are times when I, I wish I could be going out and doing things, but I, you know, uh, outdoor related, but I have to sit in my office here and, and, uh, get the job done. No, it's, it's definitely a grind and it's, yeah. um, it's a lot of long nights, honestly. Yeah. I mean, it's and early mornings, which is nice. I wouldn't change a thing in the world. But like like you said, it's definitely um, it, it. By the end of the season, you're you're pretty tired. Yeah, you're pretty tired. I, okay, so as a you know, as someone who's documenting all these hunts, you know, you're filming them, you're editing them, uh, taking a lot of pictures. Do you have a really cool story that you could share with us um, as a cameraman, either in the tree or in the ground blind or out in the field? Um, not off the top of my head, but I would say that. Probably, I'll tell you about my favorite, the favorite one we've done so far, the favorite, you know, favorite quote-unquote, like, study we've done. Um, so we were in South Texas filming, um, capturing deer out of a helicopter. It was a, there was a, I think it was a 13-year study, and you might, you might be familiar with this. It's a 13-year study on genetics, and basically what this was was between uh, Mississippi State and Texas A&M, uh, Kingsville, and there was a 13-year study 
about the genetics in whitetails if you were to be able to cull, cull out certain deer to, um, you know, have an effect on the rest of the deer. Yeah. And after 13 years, it showed that it wasn't possible. Yeah. But the cool thing was that in, in my in my experiences, I got to got to fly around in a helicopter and captured I think close to 180 deer. Dang. And it was like, it was the coolest experience I've ever had. And honestly, and, and um, not to down any other trips I've been on, but and the people I've met, but that was probably by far the coolest thing I've uh, I've experienced so far. Yeah. Uh, you know what you just said there was not to down on it, anybody else, but when you were with everybody else, you weren't shooting like. Uh, rocket nets out of a moving helicopter. No, no, no. <laughs> that just seems and straight what was cool. Crazy, what was crazy? We'd be flying over, and like you know, the landscape there is so much different than what I'm used to back home. Here, it's thick. I mean, it's it's thicker than dogs on a uh, hair on dogs back. But there, it's like you know, you can see everything. So we'd be flying over it, and they would see a certain deer. Like we're gonna go after that deer right there would get close to it and they'd be like, all right, that's a 180. We can't, we're not going to touch him. And I was like, that's a 180 inch deer right there below us. And he's like, yeah, we can't touch him. We're going to save him. We don't want to stress him out anymore than we have to. And I was like, man, <laughs> I would love to be hunting here one day. <laughs> right. Right. But that's yeah, crazy. Yeah. It was crazy though. It was, it was insane. But after, like I said, after 13 years, uh, there was no effect whatsoever that they could tell. Yep. And they had, they was they had it very well documented. I'll give them that. Yeah, I think I uh, I'm not sure which uh, person I've had on, but I've had Bronson Strickland on from Mississippi State. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, he yeah. uh, um, I know we've talked about that before. So you know, just to reiterate, if you see a small buck and you shoot it because or like let's just say just an eight pointer, right? He's just an eight pointer, and we're looking to for for tens. It does not have any effect at all on what is going to be coming down the line for, for that. So I like that. I like that kind of information yeah. too. It's very interesting. So, it well, was, it was very, I'm, I'm like you said, I'm, I'm, I'm a deer nut. Like if there's, yeah. there's anything that I could hunt in this world, it'd be deer and yeah. getting to be around them that much and study them. It was, and Bronson's a really great guy. That's who I was actually with too. He was there yeah. um, during the study and it was, it was cool. Yeah. It was cool. So let's talk a little bit about Northern Mississippi. Uh, that's where you're from. Is that where you've kind of spent your whole your whole life? Is northern Mississippi? It is. Yeah, it is. Um, hunting mostly yeah. uh, in this area. Um, there's a lot of public land around where I am, and um, I've had access to a few places that just by permission only that that I've hunted since I was a um, little kid. Yeah. But um, it's a it's a neat area where we are. Um, you know, there's not a ton of quote unquote really big deer, um, but I mean, when I say really big deer, I mean compared to like what you have in Iowa. Yeah. But a big deer for us, I would say, is you know, 130 to 140 inches. Anything yeah. past that is like, you better you better get on that deer pretty quick. So I heard, uh, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here. Okay, so you're in northern Mississippi. Um, what? Where is the? Uh, there's a pocket. I think it's along the east side of the state or west side of the state somewhere that uh, kind of cut where the Mississippi River runs along. I heard there's pockets of deer, like giants, like comparable to the Midwest at all. Is how far are you away from that? Oh. Those pockets. So you know, honestly, there's some. I wouldn't say a, there's some deer in, in within you know an hour of me that would rival anything that I've seen anywhere, um, and consistently. But like you said, it's weird how there's like they're centralized. Like they'll be like 
three or four big properties that produce, you know, 160s to 170s every single year. Um, and then I film a guy by the name of Austin Ashley um, down in South Mississippi, and uh, he he kills a uh, – I mean, he's killed, I think, three 200s, I think. Um, it's But like I said, he, he, he puts a lot of time in his properties, but um, – but he's like I said, he kills. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if he killed. He's killed a 170 every year since you know I've since I've been hunting. I'm sure. I don't, I don't know how. I think he's probably got. I'm saying 10 plus. I'm gonna yeah. say. But it's just crazy that like certain, like you said, certain pockets hold this giant deer, and it, they continue to produce. Yeah. I, unfortunately, I'm not hunting one of those pockets. Yeah. So yeah. I, I'm getting the residual. Right. And, so. So a 140 class buck is a really good buck for your area. Yes. Gotcha. I would say so. Are you, I, would say that's, I would say that's pretty above average where I am, honestly. Okay. 140 roughly is above average. What about age class? I mean, are you are you passing three-year-olds to get to four-year-olds, or are you shooting three-year-olds, two-year-olds, and three-year-olds? No, I'm, I am personally passing them. Um, I really do enjoy watching these deer. I would rather them grow up to be, you know, if uh, if he makes it five and a half, I'm not going to be upset that he's at four and a half. Yeah. Um, usually, I usually I I want four and a half is usually my goal. If around where I am, I hunt pretty small properties, and they don't make it on other properties. But usually, if I can get a deer to four and a half, I'm pretty happy with him. Um, but like I said, there's I think the average deer killed in Mississippi is uh it's a three and a half year old buck. Uh, I think we have I would I think we have the number one. Um, age class i believe in the, in the u.s i believe i may be wrong maybe we're two or three now but i know we were at one point um so people a lot of people do pass them up um but like i said then there again there is some people that um i heard of a guy today shooting several several young bucks and um you know we we try to discourage it but you know uh whatever makes people happy that's all that matters in the, in the end of the day yeah all right so uh what's the deer numbers like down there is there a lot average you would say nationwide it's, it's or is ridiculous. It low? okay that's what i thought it's, it's, it's ridiculous um it's i don't know the buck or data ratio specifically but i mean it is it is way out of proportion i can promise you that yeah um my buddy my buddy and them they wear the does out every year he brings people in to shoot does and everything and it's just like it's almost like you just can't kill enough of them honestly um so legally in Mississippi, we can kill five does a piece, um, and it's just—it doesn't seem like that's enough, honestly. It, and I wish, I wish it was. Um, and other places I've been, it is—that would be too many. But just where I am, it's just—I mean, it's covered up in deer. Yeah. What do you think the uh, the reason for this uh, big swing in ratio is? Is it uh, not enough people shooting does, or are there too many bucks? I mean, obviously, if you have if you have a lot of something, that means that group probably mm-hmm. does just aren't getting hunted as much as the bucks are are getting hunted. Yeah, I definitely think it's probably not shooting enough does. Yeah, um, I, I don't think that you know most people. A lot of people don't want to deal with them. They'll just go buck hunting a few times a year. They'll go during the rut, and then they'll, you know, our rifle season starts um, early November, um, which our rut isn't until uh, middle to late December. But so, so we have a long deer season, and it ends January 31st every year. Oh, so dang. we have a long season. Yeah. Yeah, we have a very, very long season. Um, but, like I said, not nearly enough people are shooting those. 
Yeah. So you got this, uh, you got this really high population kind of it sounds to me like it's it may be a little bit skewed in, in the ratio we've talked about the the caliber of deer that that are on the landscape what is that landscape like talk to us a little bit about the terrain uh where you hunt maybe in an ag timber mix or river bottoms or, or all that stuff so a lot of the places where i hunt is uh pine thickets and like you hear that a lot in the South, pine thickets, pine thickets. But where I am, um, it's kind of a mixture between CRP and pine thickets. Um, and, you know, a lot of the way guys hunt down here are on power lines or gas lines or just any open area they can see a long ways, honestly. Edge of a field, um, there's a good bit of ag where I am. And um seems like the deer obviously concentrate there, you know, summertime and late in the, and late in the, um, the winter. But the majority um our deer live in pretty thick areas and uh, there's some there's a i mean there's a good bit of hardwoods where i am um not necessarily where i hunt but like i said pine thickets are kind of like dominate dominant uh, proportion of it there is a river bottom pretty close to me that, that uh is all public land we have uh the tom bb river uh, that runs through where i live and for the majority of it uh, it's public all, all up and down it um, it's not necessarily the best hunting in the world. There's some good pockets in there, but I mean, there's, there's a lot of deer, um, but there's not a lot of, you know, mature bucks, I would say. Yeah. Uh, and the mature ones, obviously they, you know how they are. They, they're going to find these little bee pockets that are, people are going into, but yeah. it, there is good opportunity around. Yeah. So what about, uh, like the private public breakdown? And I met, I talk about this all the time, like Iowa is, less than two percent public ground that means 90 over 98 percent of iowa is owned privately so here um i don't know the specific ratio like like you alluded to but i would say that i mean we have it's vastly more um private than public the public is like in, in the public there are kind of bigger chunks i'd say and uh, most of them are along the river we have a few uh, wildlife management areas scattered throughout the state. I mean, a good many, and um, they're I mean they're good hunting. Uh, but like I said, the majority of it is private, yeah. and uh, all like the ag fields and stuff like that are more than likely going to be on private. Which seems like, of course, that's where the bigger deer are. It seems like. Gotcha. Um, and then, what's the public situation like? Because when I hear the South, and after everybody that I've talked to, I, I hear things like uh leases and hunt clubs Mm -hmm. and outfitters and things like that where what's the what's the breakdown of those i guess terms where or where you're at yeah so so there's a lot of hunting clubs where i am um i grew up in a hunting club um i grew up me and my dad would go out there and hunt and uh we'd spend our saturdays out there working before season and then we'd go hunt um during the season we'd go you know 10 or 12 times a year We'd hunt usually in one or three, one to three stands. We'd hunt it over and over again. And um, it seems like that's what everybody did. Everybody had their own little certain stands. But uh, this place was like, I think it was like 1,500 acres. I think there was around 20 to 25 hunters on it. Dang. So it wasn't terrible. It, yeah, it wasn't terrible, but it, like, like I said, um, and people ride their full wheelers in and out. And, and some places they run dogs. And that's like, yeah, that's, that's something that... I love running dogs, and I, I, I don't do it personally. Um, I, I know people absolutely love it in my area, but 
the problem is if you own property next to somebody running dogs and it just the dogs don't know boundary lines and they'll come run you on your property and it's kind of a gray area um around where i am yeah but like i said i imagine it's it's great for them and they have a, a heck of a lot of fun but i don't want to be the guy next to them yeah but like i said hunting clubs um i feel like that's probably kind of what played a role in um me loving hunting so much i was around a lot of uh influential like older men and i got to hang out with them and i'd always hang out at the skinning shed with them and we cook stew and it was just like a it was an awesome time and i feel like everybody should experience that or you know have the opportunity to experience that because that's something that's uh it like i said everybody needs to kind of experience that yeah so when it comes to a hunt club right this is one thing that i'm it's foreign language to me right you you pay x number of dollars to be part of this club but then and it's it's almost like this club is marketed as 1500 acres right you, you know or, or 2000 mm-hmm. acres or whatever but you divide it up and you're only getting access so i took 1500 uh, divided it by 20 and that gets you 75 acres out of yeah. uh, out of that so is it frustrating sometimes only being able to hunt the same 75 acres every single time or, and, or how do you break that down where it's like, okay, last year, uh, I hunted this section. I don't want to hunt this section anymore. Does that mean that you have right. to go find another hunt club or are you able to trade or, or, you know, have a drawing or whatever it is to do to, to get different parts of that, of that property? Right. So the hunting club that I was in, I can't speak for all of them. Um, the hunting club I was in, you could hunt every bit of that 1500 acres. Okay. Uh, it was not, it was not, it was not like you had this certain section and Bob had this certain section. It was like that 1500 acres, you could hunt anywhere, but certain people had their stands they put up and just out of respect, you wouldn't hunt out of their stand unless you asked them. Um, and then what we did was they had a big board um, in the clubhouse you'd walk in and wherever was open that day um like the stand they had them numbered or whatever and if you put your tag on it first then you could go hunt there yeah um but like you said you, you know that some people are going to hunt certain stands so you don't hunt that out of respect but the other ones are kind of fair game yeah there was a, there was plenty of places to hunt for everybody it yeah. seemed like so the could a could a guy run and gun like put a stand on his back and, and hunt that style uh if if he was on in a hunt club or is it more like, Hey, we, we got these stands in the best possible places. Uh, is it, this is where you have to go or you're not hunting. Oh no, you, you definitely can. Okay. And that's kind of, that's kind of the way that I hunt now. I'm not in a hunting club now, but, um, there was definitely like, like you said, there was like people had their certain stands, but you could go put your stand anywhere you want to any day. Um, as long as you weren't interfering somebody else. Gotcha. Um, and there's some, there's some, there's another hunting club down the road that a guy was talking about the other day and it's got very big deer on it. Um, you can't drive full withers in it. Um, you can't go put out, uh, feeders or you can't put out cameras like that. Uh, you just have to walk in and walk out that day that you hunt. And it's, I forget how many acres it is, but it's a lot of acreage. Um, they pay, they, they cost a lot to get into these hunting clubs nowadays but um there is good opportunity out there yeah. for people to be able to hunt if they want to yeah so you mentioned you kind of grew up uh in in this hunt club sounds to me like 
there's there's good tradition involved in that style of hunting right a, a lot of camaraderie as opposed to the way i grew up hunting was basically me teaching myself mm-hmm. yeah so like you said camaraderie was honestly the, the biggest point for me yeah. um and that's the part that i remember the most um and going with my dad you know that meant a lot to me but like we would go out there and it'd be a bunch of older guys and we'd go hang out with them and, you know, shoot guns and, and ride full wheelers and, you know, cook up some breakfast and stuff like that and work on stands. Um, and, you know, we killed a, a few decent deer out there, but that wasn't really the point for me. It was kind of like the, all the hangout part. And that's part of that I will probably always remember um, is that part of it. Yeah, absolutely. So, I know, like, you, I know, you, like, you, I've heard you talk about that before on, um, or I've heard you and Mark talk about that on the Wired to Hunt part podcast. Um, growing up, like, you know, the buck pole and stuff like that. And it's it's similar like that around here, I would say. Yeah. Um, just in hunting clubs and, like, you know, families that hunt with bigger properties and whatnot. Yeah. Yep. All right. So, you know, you you hunt, you know, you, you were growing up in this hunt club. What made you decide to spread your wings uh, get a, get away from the hunt club type atmosphere, start hunting public and, and potentially getting out of state and going and, and trying other, other, uh, hunts. Yeah. So I don't know if there was a specific, my, I don't know if there was a specific thing that happened. Um, my dad got out of the hunting club and I was with him. I was, you know, young, young when I was in it, but when he got out of it, um, we always had a, two other properties that we hunted and, uh, when he got out of it, because, you know, it was just, it was honestly, it was a lot of work to balance, you know, life and family and job and everything. So I started hunting, you know, around, around my uh, hometown and um, started knocking on doors and stuff like that because I wanted, I kind of got the bug to, I shot one decent deer. And that one deer just made me like, you know, want to get deeper into it and deeper and deeper. And, and I've always been super into hunting. I'll tell you, um the weird funny story when i was a kid my mom got so tired of hearing me talk about hunting that she would pay me like a dollar a day that i didn't talk about it because it just <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> and i couldn't do it i literally could not do it i'm telling you so um so i got more and more into it after that and like started knocking on doors and that's when i kind of started picking up bow hunting um because Honestly, a lot of the places I hunt are is in the city limits. I shouldn't even be talking about this right now because it's kind of a hit gym. But hunting in the city limits is, it can be very, very good around here, and not a lot of people do it. Yeah. Well, there's a there's a whole group of people who are doing it. I mean, in, yeah. in every state, just on the outskirts or or knocking on doors of mm-hmm. like you know two, three, four acre acre parcels, if not smaller, and getting permission and and shooting these these city deer. Mm-hmm. So See, the the biggest year I've ever had on camera was in a, uh, I think it was a 10 acre, um, wood lot. And when I was sitting in my stand, I could see people washing their cars. Yeah. Uh, and it was, and that's a, and honestly, it's, it doesn't mean, I'm not saying it doesn't mean as much, but like, it's a completely different feeling than if you're off by yourself and there's nobody around and a big deer walks out versus yeah. when you're sitting there and you know, there's people around and it's, it's a completely different feeling. Um, but I will gladly hunt where there's a big deer at. Yeah. So let me ask you this. Uh, what's the, uh, 
what's the conditioning like, right? So a lot of times these deer are used to human uh, interaction in some way, shape, or form, right? They, they'll they'll come out. I mean, I, I've been on in some uh, suburbs of some cities where I've been sitting on uh, the back deck, you know, playing with kids, right? And uh, um, grilling and talking and playing bags and, you know, mm-hmm. being very active. And deer will just walk through the yard like nothing's, you know, nothing's the matter. Are, are the deer in these, in these city hunts, like a little bit easier to, to hunt in your opinion than like if you were out in the country? So where I am, I'm going to, I'm going to say no. Okay. Um, in some areas that I've hunted for sure. But like where I am, like what you described, I would love, I would love to be hanging out of my house and like in the suburb and there'd be deer walking around. That just does not happen where I am. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like there's like the pressure around here is just exponential. And like we, um, and I hate to bash on it, but we have a lot of people that, you know, poach deer and shoot them at night and stuff like that. And that just, it, I, I think it definitely plays a role in it. Um, our deer are very, very like sketched out on everything that happens. Okay, so it's not like some of these cities where uh, they just they're eating out of bird feeders, they're eating landscaping, they're eating you know feeders out of the out of these people's backyards, and then a hunter slips in and they they're used to humans. Yeah. This is more of a uh, the the pressure that these deer feel is hunting pressure. It's uh, kind oh, yeah. of scared pressure. Yeah, I would love, like I said, I would love that to happen because I could take good pictures of it. Being a photographer, I would love to have a buck walk up in the yard and take pictures of it, but that just does not happen where I am. Yeah, I got you. All right, so um, what about uh, your like your first kind of out-of-state hunts? Like, How old were you uh, when you started uh, saying, well, you know what, I wanna, I'm going to hunt Mississippi, but I want to try some other states too? Yeah. So I was uh, I was actually 19 years old, and I went on my first elk hunt out west, and um, completely by myself. I did not have anybody to hunt with, but I decided I was like, well, my and my friends couldn't couldn't make the same schedule I had, and I was taking all my classes online. So I was like, well, I'm gonna do this. I I might go the rest of my life without doing it. So I bought an over the counter tag uh, in Colorado uh, for rifle. And I went out there and I shot an elk. Um, I think it was the fifth or sixth day in. Um, I found one area that that had you know, a decent amount of elk, and I found I, I'm back up. I walked in one spot that had just it was overrun by people, and I thought there is no way an elk can ever live in here because it's just like wherever you would glass at was just like tons of people. Yeah. So I made a. I, found a spot like like we do in whitetails back home is just find that overlooked spot and as i was walking in one day i had my my map or whatever like an actual paper map and it said like this one area it was like a protected area like it said protected area so i called a biologist i talked to him and he was like no that just means you can't drive a full wither in there whatever uh, and it's protected for this one certain species but you can hunt in it i thought okay well gladly i'll go over there and i went over there and it was just it was just a hidden little gym um so i shot that elk uh, the first year and then the next year i decided that i was gonna try it again and i went back uh, same exact tag uh, over the counter tag in colorado and shot a really uh, good bull probably one that i won't uh 
I probably won't shoot another one like that again. But like I said, if that, it, it made me feel like, uh, you know, Western hunting is kind of where uh, my heart lies, I feel like. Um, but like I said, that's something I love, and I've been going every year since then. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, I didn't draw my Wyoming tag this year, so I'm debating on if I'm going to go to Colorado and buy an over-the-counter tag or go to Colorado and uh, basically just hang with some buddies while they hunt on a on a draw tag that they they put in for yeah. and got in Colorado. So th- there might be an opportunity for me to do both. I might bring my bow just in case, but I don't know. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll see where that goes. Were, were you trying to, were you trying to get an elk tag in Wyoming or yeah. were you going for mule deer? You, no, I was going for a uh, elk tag in uh, Wyoming and, I got you. and uh, the point creep hit this year. I think, you know, after everybody, I should have, I should have applied last year to be honest with you. And I probably, I think I probably would have got it. But uh, this year, COVID's over, you know, and now everybody mm-hmm. wants to get back on the Western horse and, and uh, you know, go for all those Western species. Yeah. But um, yeah. what was, like, being used to hunting mule, or excuse me, whitetails all the time, what was that first experience like drawing back on, on an elk or a completely different species? It was... It, there's nothing in this world that can prepare you for that. I mean, it was uh, it was a feeling that you cannot replicate. Um, like I said, I was I was 19 years old and I had no I honestly had no business being out there probably. But um, and being by yourself is like when I shot that when I shot it, I thought, oh, you know, I'll just pack it up and go down downtown or whatever like everybody else I've seen do on videos. And that was like the hardest experience I've ever been through. Like that, that was like, I had the wrong backpack. I had the wrong shoes, I'm sure. And it was just like, it was hell, but I wish I could do it again tomorrow. Yeah. What what elevation? That that I think I was at like 8,500. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I was in, you know, like the, the Northern part of Colorado. Um, and and it, it's a cool area where I was very, very thick. Um, There's no glassing where I where I was. And honestly, I know you you smelled elk before, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, that smell that they have, and that's honestly the the way that I killed this thing, was I was slipping up through the timber, um, going up this mountain. There was benches going up there, and um, as I got up to a, uh, the edge of a bench, I I smelled the uh, that must, dropped on myself, went over, and then. Uh, next bench and he was 50 yards from me um with like 15 or 20 cows with him oh dang were they bedded or they were on their feet no they were on their feet on the way up the mountain i just happened to kind of intercept them when they were uh going up gotcha um so i i I got a shot on him um i dropped him called my dad and i was so excited and i was talking to him and and it had been it had been like 10 minutes since i shot him yeah called him and i was walking up to the elk and i got from like three or four feet from him and i turned around and put my gun down and i heard something and i like snapped my head back like down the hill and he was standing up looking at me at like three feet and i was like there's nothing in this world that makes you feel smaller than that happening and i panicked and i dropped the phone i was like oh shit dropped the phone grabbed my gun and the elk takes off running down the hill I shoot him again and hit him that time good, but I guess I just walked over. I walked up to him too quick. Yeah, but it was it, it got a little it got a little squirrely there for a minute. 
Well, that's that that's that learning experience. You really don't know yeah. like the first time doing anything really. I mean, it could be whitetail hunting. Yeah. You know, I, I remember the first time I, uh, no, not the first time that I, I killed a deer, but it was, uh, maybe in the next, the couple years after that, I walked up on a deer and his eyes were closed. I'm like, oh, I got him, you know, but then his head, po- uh, it was a doe, her head popped up and, uh, she started trying to get up again. So I had to, I had to shoot her again. And that was, yeah. uh, that was an interesting experience. Cause you're like, you think you're dead and this thing pops up and Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of startles you for a minute. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, uh, you know, going from white tails where you can pretty much drive your, you know, your pickup truck up to the gate and walk in. If you shoot a deer for the most part, I know on the properties where I hunt, um, there, there might be some dragging, and the dragging would be to get them to a, uh, get them to a two track or uh, a field edge, and then I can just drive my truck up the rest of the way. But you can't do that in Colorado, right? You either got to camp in yeah. and you got to yeah. pack them out, or, uh, or what you did, and that it's sleep out of your truck. Talk to me about this because yeah. it's something that I'm I want to transfer the back of my truck to a uh, hotel room, basically. Yeah. So at that point, uh, I was not sleeping out of the back of my truck, but years after that, after doing that and after sleeping in a tent and all that kind of stuff, I was like, and not being super mobile, I was like, man, there's got to be a, like, you know, an easier way to this. And, uh, I got a camper shell and stuck in the back of my truck. And then I thought, well, you know, I'll build a platform. I'll put a, you know, I must throw my, uh, my bedroll back there, hop on it, and I sleep, and then I can hop out of the truck and get in to drive wherever I need to. And I did that for um, probably two years or so, and uh, eventually I started trying to like want to build it up a little more. And this past year, um, I put some serious time into like trying to like make it fit my needs, and I just finished it up like a couple of months ago. But um, it's been being able to build it the way that I needed it and put like, you know, like a cabinet on one side and putting the pull out drawers on it and all that stuff. And it, it, it's a game changer. I'll tell you that. So what how much you got into it? How much money did you spend into oh. building that? Mm. Not, not the shell that goes I'm over top, say, not the topper, just the, yeah. the inside stuff. Well, you know, as much as plywood costs these days, yeah. it's probably less than this. But it was probably like um, less than three hundred fifty bucks. I will okay. say, uh, that, so that, not bad at all. And that's probably a little higher than I'm gonna say probably like two seventy five, but just three fifty just to be maybe a safe zone. But like I said, um, I've got like I think it's like three quarter inch plywood on top. Um, pull out drawers with three quarter inch plywood. Um, I think they're four by uh, two by four stakes. So uh, yeah, it's probably. 275 i'm gonna say but it wasn't a very hard build the hardest part was building the cabinet on the other side with uh around the uh so my truck has wheel wells yeah and being able to build that like uh, custom to that was the biggest pain in the butt ever but like i said it it definitely paid off good i feel like yeah so So and i've been doing that for the past couple months i've been doing that for turkey hunting traveling around um doing turkey hunts like that um i started filming a little vlog now that kind of like kind of pushes me to go do that kind of stuff and makes me get out every week because i try to do a, a video every week so making me do that every week it's been like that's 
it's been a good process and a good little pushing curve. Um, and fixing up my truck, just really, I love camping. And uh, fixing up my truck really just kind of put the icing on the cake for me. Yeah, uh, that's definitely something that I uh, I want to do is uh, yeah. is get my, my truck to where I can, I don't know, just like i want to be able to pull that whole shell out too to i so i can use uh-huh. it as a truck you know throw dead deer in the back of it or uh you know haul branches or or whatever but at the same time i want it to you know not just in one big piece but in multiple pieces be able to take it apart is your is your the back of your truck like easy to take apart if you need to move like a bed or something like that or is it in there permanently no absolutely it's it's not very hard to take out at all um you get in there and one person can do it pretty much it's it's very simple gotcha um it and it's very stable like it's not going to go anywhere um you pull the drawer out and then after you get that out the bed comes out pretty easily um you know i don't know how your truck bed is but mine's got the grooves in the bottom of it like the liner yep so we built it to where like um it fits down in that and so it's not going side to side it's very easy to slide in and out cabinet um i made it to where it actually goes on top of some bolts um, that hook the camper shell down. And once you pop it up off that, it's it's pretty easy to get out as well. So everything I've made is like, is so I can get it out easily. Like just so you said like a while ago, so you can throw a deer back there or throw branches or whatever you want. I wanted to be able to still do that. Yeah. What about the, is your mattress a blow-up mattress or is it like a big piece of foam? No, oh, I've got, I'm, I'm living luxurious. I, I got a, four-inch memory foam mattress right there okay so sleep sleeps it'll sleep some point with that okay yeah i uh the <laughs> this this uh year in where was i uh south dakota i slept in the back so i put a, a mat down an old mat then i used my blow-up air mattress mm-hmm. and i i i fell asleep i got some i got some some decent sleep <laughs> but but you can't roll you can't adjust you yeah. know on on that no. you're pretty much on your back flat the whole time it, you know just looking at your instagram and looking at that picture it looks like uh you have some room to really stretch out and get comfortable yeah i wish i wish my bed was like you know three or four inches longer yeah but like because my feet are just touching the end of it i'm not a super tall guy i'm like five ten, but like my head is just at the end of the at the towards the cab of the truck and my feet are like within an inch or two so if you move you touch that you t- you're going to touch uh, one end of the other but like you said it's still a lot better than the alternative yeah all right so uh how much time are you spending in the back of your truck i mean do you have all the I, amenities I, in there do you have your your coffee or your uh okay. all your food and everything's in there as well yeah i'm i when i leave uh of my house in West Point, I am completely self-sufficient um, until I come home. Um, as far as camping and stuff like that, I can uh, take whatever I need, cook whatever I need when I get there. Um, pretty much, I can do whatever I need to. Um, and it's it's really it's nice knowing, like at any point, like I could just like take off and say I'm. I have no family back home. Like I have family, but like I'm single. I don't have you know job on the weekends like that. So I can just take off and leave on a Friday night, and come home Sunday night before work, 
and uh, not have to worry about anything really. Yeah. So it's kind of nice in that way, and, and having all my stuff with me pretty much all the time. My bed's with me pretty much everywhere I go, so I can you know pick up and go whenever I want to. So it's it's pretty nice in that way too. Yeah. What's the uh, What's the next big hunt that you're going to use that for? Um, honestly, I don't really know. I'm going to try to go to Arkansas in a few weeks to fly fish okay. um, and camp up there. But other than that, I don't really know. Um, I'm trying to go out west this year, but I'm trying to actually go to Alaska. Oh, so I probably won't be taking my truck for that one. Nope. But um, I've got a couple of buddies that want to hunt bear in Georgia, and I'll probably go with them and take my truck there to okay. hunt with them. Wow, that'll that'll be uh, that'll be fun, man. I, I gotta, yeah. yeah. It, it, the lumber prices are ridiculous right now. So, oh my gosh, I, I made a promise to my daughter that I would make her a loft for her bedroom. I'll put you know put her mattress up high so she could like have a little play area underneath of it. And then I I went and price checked everything, and I was gonna buy all the equipment that I needed for to make the platform, you know for for my uh, truck and holy cow i decided i you know but dad you promised you promised you were going to do this i'm just like (laughs) yeah but sweetie (laughs) the uh the 100 project uh, just turned into 500 dollars, and uh yeah we'll just see what happens yeah it is unbelievable right now i mean it's it's it makes you put the brakes on quick yeah Tell you what, man. But you really should. I really, I would recommend it to absolutely anybody to yeah. try to um, do that if they're if they're interested in it. I mean, it's it's been a cool process for me, and um, I love every second of it. Yeah. You know, summertime camping isn't the isn't my favorite in the world because how hot it is here, and that truck bed gets a little hot in there. But uh, I've actually got a, a battery in there that I can run um, runs off actual truck battery um, that. You can put fans and stuff like that in there, but I kind of want to drill a. Um, this, just kind of talking about this, not done it yet, but you've seen campers that have like the vent at the top of them, with yeah, the fan like the fan coming in. I would like to do that, something like that with my truck, but hadn't got to that point yet. I don't really, uh, I haven't pulled the plug on that one yet. Yeah, well, there's still time, right? Yeah, yeah, there's still time. There's a little money and uh and. Little luck, I guess I'm not gonna do it. There you go. So, um, let's talk about uh, you mentioned you're going to Alaska. What do you got on your bucket list of hunts? That is on my bucket list. Just Alaska just to go like, to Alaska. I mean, are you gonna be are you well, gonna be hunting? Would, yeah, I'm gonna try to hunt caribou. Um, me and my buddy Brandon, um, we've talked about going for several years, and um, this year's kind of falling into place the way that we need it to, to go. Um, but honestly, going to Alaska is on my bucket list, no matter what I hunt or whatever, I'm, I'm really into fishing. I would love to, I would love to do some time, spend some time fishing up there. Um, but like I said, caribou would be, um, next on the list for sure. And that's, I guess, kind of what we're going to try to go for. I have no leads whatsoever. I don't know anything about it, but, um, I figured I might, I might better do this before I, uh, get a family and, you know, yeah. And I, I can do this right now while I have the time. Yeah. I've started late in, in my, in my quote unquote adventure hunting. Right. So I have the, yeah. I have the family or I, I had mm-hmm. the family. Um, now I'll tell you this, if I tried to hunt six weeks or, or whatever I was doing 
and having a full-time job that was not in the hunting space, no way I'd be able to do it. Right. Maybe, maybe one or two, but not six anyway. Um, so now I can just say, Hey, this is, this is for work. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But I tell you what, caribou moose, um, I'm, I'm probably, I'm probably out of the sheep game, right? Like it takes tons of points unless you're going to spend a ton of money, uh, for an outfitter, but, uh, moose are, seem doable caribou seem doable and uh, those are two uh two species that are definitely on my on my list what's uh what is your number one animal that you would need to go hunt well anywhere in the world anywhere in the world so Mm -hmm. i i have i have this little uh it's it's on my desk right i haven't killed a mule deer i haven't killed an elk yet uh, I want to kill a, and I'm, I'm actively hunting for those right now. I haven't killed a moose. I haven't killed an antelope. I haven't killed a caribou. So those five species right now are on my bucket list. And I feel like it, I'm going to take advantage of, uh, North America before I, I start, yeah. you know, to me, if I, if I'm, you know, if it's 10 more years and I don't have an elk or, or a mule deer, I'm going to get an elk or a mule deer i don't feel like i need to be going over to pakistan and hunting some ibex or whatever they have up there or going to africa and doing that thing i i feel like i have a yeah. i have a list of animals in front of me that i i want to kill and uh right now it's it's those five species got you but you got know you. something yeah. high yeah. like a moose yeah a moose. yeah as of right moose now or she i, yeah. I would I would love to kill a sheep, but I guess like you said, it's a it's a lot of money, kind yeah. of out of my price range, and the points are kind of you know out of control. Seems like a lost uh, like yeah when you're when you're putting that many points in, you know, fifteen to twenty points, it's like it's hard to think that far in the future, honestly. Right. Yeah, you know that that puts me at fifty five. If it takes fifteen points for anything, that puts me at fifty five. If I if I would start right now, and who knows what my knees are going to be doing at fifty five. Yeah. So yeah, they have. Um, uh, but if I had to pick one, like t- if somebody called me tomorrow and said, Hey, uh, I'm going to let you do your dream hunt and you're going to have a guide or a scout for it or whatever. I think it would be high country mule deer. Like I'm, I'm talking yeah. that, that 12,000 foot elevation, you know, type hunt where yeah. you're, you're up way high. You're, you're, you're scouting, you're, uh, you're glassing all day. You find one, maybe you go make a, um, a stock on a bedded buck, that kind of, um, that kind of hunt seems to like, I find the most interest in watching those types of hunts. Yeah. So yeah, it's like, like growing up, um, that was like my number one hunt ever. Like that was like, and I, I got to do it a couple of years ago and, um, I shoot a, uh, a one pin side. Um, and when I was up there, um, I think I'd hunted for like, I think five or so days. My buddy Brandon had to go out to work. So I was up there by myself and just camped out. I think it was like, I think I was close to 10,000 feet. Yeah. And I spotted some deer in the morning. I went up there, um, as they, well, they went in this one little block of timber and I went up there, and um, there's there's mountain goats around me. Like I'm this, I'm at eye level with them. Like it's it's I'm in a cool spot, and like I put a stalk on this deer, um, and as I'm easing out, 
uh, one of the deer blows out. And I, so I ranged the spot. He's at 55 yards. He ran through it 55 yards. I know there's a bigger deer behind him. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm creeping up closer, and then I get next to a tree. I'm like 50 yards. Setting my pen just in case he does come out, and I'm just going to sit there and wait uh, just to see what happens. And I see antler tips coming, and I draw a bow back, and he steps out at 50 yards. Well, as soon as he steps out at 50 yards, he, like, turns straight towards me and starts walking to me. And he walks all the way to me, and I'm thinking, oh, you're you're done. I'm about to get a shot at this thing. At, and he's, he is walking, like, I think he gets, like, 20 yards, and he turns broadside. I put the pin on him, and I shoot. What I did not realize is I did not adjust my sight. Oh, buddy. And that was the only thing. Man, that hurt. That hurt. My arrow sailed over his back, and he ran down the hill out of my dreams forever. But that was uh, it was an experience I'll never forget. Yeah. It was cool, man. It was cool. And I hadn't been able to go back for uh, high country gold deer since then. Yeah. But that, I won't ever forget that. That's for sure. What state that was that in? Colorado? Colorado. Colorado. Yeah. yeah. So how many I, points I did that? A, the, uh, that was first year drawing. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah. So this spot, um, it's just my buddy Brandon showed me. It's just, um, it's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, it's like we, we were seeing um, 170 inch bucks, 175 inch bucks that were like, and you would see like people were driving Jeeps below you and there would be just like these giant deer around you. And you're like, there's no way this is even real for one point. I mean, it was, yeah. it's phenomenal. That's uh, it's awesome. Just a, that's what, I've, what I found, like filming all these hunts and hunting places, just these little pockets that hold deer that people don't go hunting. They yeah. don't think they hold deer. Is that that's the key? And that's every it species, like. right? I mean, that's yes. what we, that's yes. what we all are starting to find out is that like ten acres hold can hold a big deer. You don't need a thousand. Yeah. So. No, no, you really don't. So, yeah, buddy. Well, I tell you what, um, I, like I said, I, I put the message out on Instagram today. I said, Hey, I had a guy, I had a guy cancel and, uh, I need someone to fill a slot for me and you were the first person to respond. So I really appreciate you, uh, (laughs) taking time out of your day to, uh, hop on and and BS with us a a little bit today. And, uh, I'll tell you this right now, good luck the rest of uh, this upcoming season, man. Hopefully you get into one of those pockets that we talked about. Well, man, I I really appreciate the opportunity. That means the world to me. I've been I've been listening to you and some other guys for a long, long time, and being able to hop on the phone with y'all and talk that's that it's it means the world to me. I really appreciate the opportunity.
And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, another episode in the books. Huge shout out to David. Thanks for taking time out of your day to hop on and uh, chat with us here at the uh, Nine Finger Studios, except it was over the phone, so I don't know why I said that. Huge shout out to all of you for taking time out of your day uh, and and downloading and listening. I really appreciate that. Huge shout out to Wasp, Vortex, Huntstand, Ozonics, Lone Wolf, and Exodus. Uh, these all those companies are awesome good people great products great customer service and uh i don't know i just like working with uh good people so there's that uh last but not least follow me on instagram follow me on facebook a lot of cool stuff coming through the social lines and then uh, i'm going to start picking up the nine finger kitchen here again pretty soon and what else uh subscribe hit the subscribe button follow along whatever you do on uh iTunes or wherever you download your podcast, the Nine Finger Chronicles is literally everywhere that you download your podcast. If it's not, let me know and uh, we'll go from there. Have a good one. Enjoy your day, week, month, year. Dude, it's almost hunting season. It is almost hunting season. So uh, it's time to start scouting and uh, let's get out there and uh, start putting in the work.